the use of force by Mattingly and Cosgrove was justified. The grand jury declined to bring criminal charges against Cleveland police officers. Just because there's an indictment, we still expect, based on this evidence, for you to get a conviction. This is intentional. This was a conscious decision that she made in reaching for her gun. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, find the defendant guilty. The struggle for social justice echoing through our streets, sports, and our own backyard. So tonight, we sit down with the men and women whose skin is black and uniform is blue. They share honest lessons after a difficult year and how all of us can learn from it. Ultimately, our job is to protect the citizens of the city. How much change are we truly going to see beyond the surface? How deep are you all really willing to go? This is Black and Blue, a WLWT Project Community Special. A year of pandemic and protest. The death of George Floyd sparking nationwide protests, ripping open old wounds and igniting a modern day civil rights movement. But the controversies didn't let up. Our project community special, Black and Blue. Ten Cincinnati police officers gave up hours of their time for a raw, real conversation about their experiences this past year. From stories of being on the streets during last summer's racial justice protests to the lessons they try to teach their own kids, they shared it all. And we're featuring it here on the WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio podcast. Here's WLWT News 5 investigative reporter, Jatera McGee. 10 police officers ranging from five years on the job to 31 agreed to a difficult conversation with us. No question off limits. The groups of patrolmen, sergeants and lieutenants with more than 200 combined years on the force say this talk is long overdue. Many of them are members of the Sentinel Police Association, which represents minorities within the Cincinnati Police Department. These men and women have spent decades in blue and a lifetime as black Americans. You'll soon see their raw truth and authentic perspectives may surprise you, including their outlooks on the protests that took over Cincinnati and cities across the country last summer. It's hard because there is so much tension when you put on this uniform and people tend to forget that we're human too. When protests broke out in Cincinnati last May, responding to the deaths of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and others like them, these are some of the faces who stood for hours at a time in the face of thousands demanding change. I'm on the civil disturbance response team. I've had thousands of peaceful protesters pass me by. I would say out of 10,000 protesters, only five may have cussed me out. But I know if I'm on the front line, making eye contact with them and let them know that there are police officers who really do care about them, I think they have, they will begin to gain more trust with law enforcement. For me, it's rewarding to be alive right now. This is history. Um, just having knowledge about uh, how this world, how America started and where we're going. Like just being a part of this movement, um, being alive and in this uniform today, um, part of the movement and part of the change to unify America. I'm here and I like it. The original message of the protests resonated deeply. We're here today because of police brutality. People getting shot in the back while running away from a minor traffic stop. 
this is this is the reason why we have all this animosity, all this hate, uh, along with political. I agree with protesting as long as it's peaceful. I encouraged my children to peacefully protest if that was what they chose to do. Um, I'm not for the violence and the looting that was going on, but I was empowered as I got dressed at District 1. I heard it yelling out at the window, you know, um, whether I support Black Lives Matter or not, to be, for them to say, just to hear Black Lives Matter and to know, like, they, they may not like the police, but a part of that is they still rooting for me. I was like, shoot, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, um, the other side to that, though, too, was like, if they could stand out there and, and protest, peaceful protest, if they could stand out there and do that, then I need to make sure I stay the course for the officers who came before me, for the ones I work with today. If you are human in this uniform, you, there's no way you shouldn't feel like Black Lives Matter. What hurt me is I watched the movement get hijacked, a movement that I feel like is very important to me and my people. Um, it started out as a, a slogan or a movement to let people know about social injustices against African Americans. But as I stood in the riots, um, to me the cause didn't seem like it was that. It became, it became more anti-government. I think the message was sort of lost. In, in the law enforcement world. 2001, we had uh, our situation where we didn't have the dialogue we have today. Because of the, the collaborative agreement, because of uh, community relations, uh, because of programs that built relationships and built trust, we were able to have dialogue 20 years later with people who were protesting. However, there are people that are now part of this organization that do not understand the history of how we got here. So if you have people that protest, that's fantastic, but you have to have law enforcement that's responsive to the people and the reason why they're protesting. Um, I think that what we have to do collectively as a, as a profession is have real conversations about race, about inequality, about our history, and that's how we can move forward. But if people are looking at a protest as just extra dollars on a check or just making arrest or whatever is, seems to be a personal benefit to it, then these things will continue to happen. And the question is, is do we have that kind of courage to have those kind of conversations? Specifically during the protests, what did you see or what did you hear that hurt you? I think what really hurt the most was hearing the comments from our fellow officers, um, and, and not just local, but around the country, uh, with respect to each of the incidents. I'm sorry, and I'm gonna have to say it, my coworkers' response um, in the district, hearing some of the stuff that they were saying, is one thing to talk about looters and protesters. It's another thing to hold views about people who really want to see change. Um, but it was just a lack of compassion that if I did go on roll call and say I actually feel a little bit empowered because I hear them chanting, just the fear of what the backlash would have been from that had I made that statement. Um, it just feels like, like you guys, like I can love on white cops. I can understand and empathize with you. Can you do it for me? Once. Can you have some compassion for, for me, for us, and for our community? 
it's kind of hard and it hurts when you see a Blue Lives Matter flag or the thin Blue Lion flag, I'm sorry, and a Black Lives Matter flag and it's like this side or that side when both of them apply. Um, and I'm really upset because that thin blue line is for the people that paid the ultimate sacrifice on this job. That has nothing to do with race. So to see that this flag is being utilized for some political party or some um, political agenda is wrong. It is wrong. And you are disrespecting every last person that has ever put on this uniform and walked in here and gave it all. It's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And that's the problem I have with, with, um, with Blue Lives Matter. Black, Blue Lives Matter existed and was created as a rebuttal to Black Lives Matter. It's a tit for a tat. It was tit for a tat. A lot of new, younger black officers are afraid to pick which side they want to be on. Because it's a struggle. They want to they want to appease everyone. It's a struggle. Well, they don't want to they don't want to look, they don't want you them to see you as being a radical, uh, some type of standoffish officer. We all experience that. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. You get that fear of you going on a radio run and you might not get backed up because you have this feeling or this understanding or you've been vocal about um, saying something. Now your life is on the line. Their life experiences and lessons learned during the protests are lessons they want to talk about with colleagues who don't look like them. We got to start talking. With us, it's probably the safest place to do it. We understand that that if I'm talking to them directly, we understand you didn't grow up like we did. Um, but I'm having a hard time believing that you care about the communities you serve in when I don't even believe you authentically care about me. Because you can respect the rank, you can respect this uniform, but you really don't know me because the full me ain't been showing up at work. How does an officer's relationship with the community change when they're a part of it? After the break, we explore the keys needed to build trust. Raise your hand if you think most Cincinnatians trust the police. Raise your hand if you think most black Cincinnatians trust the police. Right there's the difference, the hesitation for some, the confidence in others that in black communities, police often aren't seen as the good guys. Many black officers say they've been trying for decades to change that. Being born and raised from here, I've seen things that's done in the community that, you know what, you know that wasn't right. And we need to come forward and we need to correct that as a community, as together, as um, law enforcement. And when we talk about community versus police, we're all the community. We live here. The same people that I deal with at work, I see in Kroger. I see in the mall. So it's no different. Being a, a black officer in America today, we are held to a higher standard, double standards. And the reason I became a, a police officer, because I wanted to help people that look like me <clears throat> from abusive cops. Uh, also, I wanted to, the people that see to see that just be, being a black officer does not mean you're a sellout. If I can do it, then you can do it. To me, it's some days coming in is, is very painful, especially when you see incidents like George Floyd. It makes you want to come to work so you can make that change. 
I don't think that all of my white co-workers feel like they're part of the communities they serve because they don't run into people at Kroger's. Their children don't go to school with our kids. They don't go to church with our children. And so for a black officer, I do feel like I am part of the community. But I don't feel like, I feel like there's some cognitive dissonance among my white coworkers that they're not, that they just work in the community. It's a struggle. It's a, it's a daily struggle, uh, trying to uh, navigate, uh, you know, when you have family members who, who love you uh, but are very compassionate about what's going on in this country, and when you're compassionate about it, you know, uh, a lot of the ish things that have occurred over these past couple of months have tugged at all of our hearts, you know, uh, for simple fact, when you can visualize being one of those individuals, you know, and knowing that the position that you hold had a negative effect on that individual, it's a struggle. It's a daily struggle, and uh, it, it, it does make you do some soul searching. To get over the anger and the, the bullying that's going back and forth and the power struggles and all of that, just, it's gonna take compassion. My thing is, you know, how, how much change are we truly going to see? beyond the surface? How deep are you all really willing to go? Are you really willing to look and see if you change an individual's quality of life, their interactions with the police will be drastically different. Individuals follow the law because they want to. But guess what? An individual that lives in an affluent community doesn't have the same issues as an individual that has in certain communities. I got like 27 years in, and what I'm gonna say is, I want the community to know, most people in the community know who I am, and the first thing I'm gonna say, that's my brother's keeper. We like helping people. We like walking away from a situation where everybody's, you know, all and all situations aren't always gonna end, you know, good. We like getting the bad guy too. We like getting the bad guy. But guess what, even when we take people to jail, they've come back and say, you know what, I appreciate it. Oh yeah. I was wrong. We have got to come to some type of common ground. This us versus them is not gonna work. There's no us versus them, it's just us. Bottom line. And as soon as we figure that out, on both sides of this, that line, things will start to change. That kind of meaningful change will take many more officers than the ones sitting in that room. When we come back, the officers' emotional pleas to their own colleagues. A career in law enforcement is dangerous. It's an honorable job that everyone doesn't make it home from. We've seen that here in the last few years. It's also a job that not everyone is cut out for. When it comes to that scrutiny, this group says that's just part of the job. Truth of the matter is, we signed up for this. There's a lot of talk about uh, the community doesn't respect us, the community doesn't do this, that's bull crap. Just like we signed up for this job to help people, we signed up to be held at a higher standard. So you gotta realize that. We signed up to know that it's us that's gotta make that first step in changing the game. You know, if society truly didn't respect police officers, we wouldn't be going into restaurants, getting meals or discounts. The average citizen can't do that. 
you signed up to be the police. And you got to take the good and the bad. So you getting a discount at McDonald's, you got to take that, that, that butt, that tongue lashing from that citizen that's upset because of what happened to George Floyd. You may not like it, but you signed up for it. We signed up for this. Get over yourself. Understand that we are the big brothers in the house. The parents left us in charge. That, that door got broke. So guess what? We got to take that brunt. If you do not like the scrutiny or you feel you're being scrutinized, you have a choice. You can quit this job. People do do that. You think I'd put this shirt and these pants on my own? Probably not. But this is what I have to wear. So if a person says, I don't like it or they're always picking on us, then leave. You have the option. This is a dangerous job sometimes. So if you're uncomfortable with somebody asking you a question, this ain't the job for you. How do you define being a police officer? I think this, what I said, I think it's about service. You know, there are people who take this job and they think it's about law enforcement, but if it's law enforcement, then you person can't even ask you for directions. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Speak to people the way that you want to be treated. I know we talk about training, we talk about education. You gotta look at people's heart. Where is your heart? We agree that the system is broken somewhere. That's our commonality. So why and where you believe that it's broken, we all agree that it's broken. So we don't figure out a place where we can come together and visit the system and figure out what pieces need to be replaced, um, then there is no, there's no reason why we shouldn't have empathy. We all agree that the system is broken somewhere. Do we all agree? I think we do. I think that their perspective on where it's broken at is different than our perspective of where it's broken. But I agree that they think that the system is broken. You know, several officers said compassion has to be part of the conversation if true change is the goal. These officers have found their voice, but admit that young officers sometimes struggle with that. I asked what they do when they hear inappropriate, racist, or racially charged comments on the job. Here's what they said. Is there anyone who heard those hurtful or inappropriate comments from their colleagues and chose instead um, just to keep them to yourself and didn't try to interact? Huh? Anyone who heard those inappropriate or hurtful comments from colleagues? No, I understand the question, but why would you say something if you're in a position? Well, because we have colleagues who might not be as vocal as, you know, the, the, the five of us. Okay. I dig what you're saying, but here's the thing. You're responsible I, I agree. for that interaction. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're in a situation where you have a comment or something like that, and you're in this position where you may be taking someone's, at worst case, their life, then you probably should be comfortable, at least for me, be comfortable enough to say, maybe we need to rethink this. So if there's a guy in an arrest situation like a Mr. Floyd, Somebody's got to say, let's get this guy off the ground. You see what I'm saying? So, I, I, I mean, I understand your question. I don't know if anybody here would be. But, Sarge, I, 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 I have to go back to, you know, our department and departments around the country are getting younger. Right. All right? And, you know, you, you've got young officers out there who actually 
have that voice within. Right. But they they feel that they have not been around long enough to be able to voice, to make that voice heard. And, and they feel in many cases like if I make my voice heard, then they're in some in some way I'm going to be, you know, ostracized or in some way I'm not going to be viewed the same as I used to be because I spoke my opinion. And and that goes for not only police officers, but that goes for bosses as well. That goes for sergeants, lieutenants, the captains on, on up. If I, as a young officer, um, and, and I'm not, so I've been around for a while, so I have a voice, but I, if I, being in a young officer's uh, shoes, have something to say, I'm worried about the blowback. I'm worried about what's gonna come my way and how I'm going to be treated from maybe not my peers, but definitely by my supervision. I dig what you're saying. Don't get me wrong, but the truth of the matter is, for me, just me personally, is that I made a decision when I came here. And and I will not, there are people who protested, there are people who were abused, there were people that were denied opportunities mm-hmm. so that I can have this job. Absolutely. I will be the voice for that community. If you are uncomfortable, uh, and not you personally, but anybody's uncomfortable with saying something because it, they may not be perceived as part of the group, then they just have to be uncomfortable. Next, we'll discuss the presence of police officers in schools. We've all seen it, that check engine light in our car. Do I check it now? Check it later? Can I keep driving? That one light doesn't tell you what you need to know. And if you get your weather from a symbol on your phone, you're not getting the full story. WLWT Weather has the only certified most accurate forecast in Cincinnati. It's where you get the difference-making details. You'll know exactly what to expect and when, so you can plan your day. WLWT Weather, Cincinnati's certified most accurate forecast. We were standing on the front line at District 1. They were getting ready to throw stuff at us. We're in a unique position because we're school resource officers. And so we interact a lot with our kids. And that interaction, over time, they've gotten to know us on a more personal level. So some of our kids noticed us standing there, and they began to chant to the crowd, don't throw anything. So our presence there, they restored, making us look human by rooting for us and the crowd in turn didn't throw anything at us. Officer Sabrine Robinson's story demonstrates the bond that school resource officers can form with students, but their value was called into question last summer and in the time since. As some argue, police have no place in schools. Our panel couldn't disagree more. Who better to relate to our kids than the people that are in those schools with them every day? We graduated from Cincinnati Public Schools. We grew up in those communities. Um, Unfortunately, because of the trauma our kids experience in their neighborhood, at some point, somebody's gonna be called to the school that's gonna have on his uniform. So do you want a person to deal with your child that doesn't know your child? Or do you want the school resource officer that has that commitment and that bond and a little bit more compassion that's not just jumping from radio run to radio run to deal with your child? It's a little bit more personal and it's a little bit more caring. I did it for five and a half years. And when I say that's probably one of the best assignments I've had, is on being on this job, you build relationships and to know that you can go back and see those students grow up. And some of my students are on the fire department and making radio runs together. 
So you have an impact outside of just law enforcement. You, we have life discussions. Um, you get a relationship with their parents. I mean, it goes a lot further than just somebody with a gun and badge inside your school. Well, once again, you got people who are trying to make decisions about something they know nothing about. They're not asking the kids. They're not asking the parents. They go jumping on a bandwagon about something they know nothing about. They're not in these schools to know the effect that we have on these young people. You, you knock in SROs, but you don't even know us. Do you know, do you know these children that you're talking about are scared of us? Or did you know that these same children we give lunch money to, we give rides home from school, we've helped people get housing, we have young people that are homeless, get all these things that we do, but yet and still you coming for us. Get out of here with that. I'm gonna give you this story and I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not gonna cry. So one of my stories is being a school resource officer was a young lady had her book bag, they do random searches with school security. The young lady um, had a sandwich bag with a white substance in it. So of course they called me, hey, we think she might have drugs or whatever. Long story short, it was um, instant potato flakes. The young lady didn't have any food at home, so she would just take the potato flakes and put them on her tongue, you know, to kind of give herself some type of substance. But that's all she had. She had to get expelled. I said, well, one, I'm not locking this young lady up. We're not doing this. I said, but before she go anywhere, I'm going to get her some food. Those are the stories that you don't hear. Those are the impacts that we make that you are just not, the average person is just not privy to. But I guarantee you, if you saw that lady right now, she'll say, guess what? He helped me. Powerful, right? These officers know the risks of a traffic stop, the unpredictability of who they're about to encounter and what they might do. But they've also been on the other side, pulled over off duty and sometimes fearful of what would happen next. They take all of that into account when teaching their own kids what to do if they get pulled over. I think every single one of you raised your hands when I asked if you taught your kids a different set of rules and you think uh, white officers have taught their kids when it comes to dealing with police. Let's talk about that. My son is in the Air Force and I tell him all the time, keep your hands visible. Uh, if whatever you ask you to do it, and whatever you do, I always tell them what you're about to do. I'm gonna get my license out of my glove compartment. You know, that way, you will leave and you may go home safe. Um, my son is 6'3", at 17 years old. Um, and then I have one that's six, probably six feet, feet tall at 20. To tell my kids there's a time and place to fight something, um, and it's not when you're in the car and the officer is present. Um, you do that after the fact, um, to tell them to keep their hands visible on the steering wheel at all times. Um, I tell my kids, if you're going to reach for something, ask the officer and let them know what you're reaching for so there's no mistakes. Um, and basically, just to come home. I have a 21-year-old son, and I had that conversation with him. And I told him, this is what you need to do to make sure the officer feels a certain kind of way. Put your hands on the steering wheel, turn on the dome light. Yeah. Yes and no. Because at the end of the day, I've been on both sides of that. I've been in my car. I've oh, yeah. had an officer walk up yep. to the window. But guess what? I've walked up to a car. Yep. So all those things, I have, I, we all have had the pleasure of being on both sides of that and being able to 
have conversations with our white counterparts and the people in our community. And not just conversations. We've been making changes. A lot of the stuff that we do and a lot of things that we say does shift. And I mean, some policy change out of the work that we've all done. Life experience can be invaluable as a police officer. For those who didn't grow up in the communities that they now police, that can be an adjustment. The officers we spoke with say conversations between officers of different races who may not have grown up differently happen all the time. And in some cases, there's growing understanding. Take this for example. One of our assistant chiefs, one of our leadership, we had a conversation about carrying guns off duty. I don't carry a gun off duty. He said, why don't you carry a gun off duty? You're entitled to have a gun off duty. I said, because I don't want to be out there and I bend over to tie my kid's shoe and they see the butt of my gun and some hero decides that he's going to shoot me because I have a gun. And he said, I understand. That's a breakthrough. Now, five years ago I would have said that? Oh, that's not going to happen. That doesn't happen. But I think what's going on in this climate is that people are saying, huh, it happens. It's like if you like a particular restaurant and I say to you, you should eat, you should eat that, you should go. And you say, no, nah, I don't try it. And then you try it. And you're like, this food is delicious. I can't believe you've been telling me to do this for five years. Welcome to being black in America. Hmm. The 10 officers we spoke with each have something they want their fellow officers to know. That's next. There are roughly 1,000 police officers on the Cincinnati Police Department. There are over 2,000 officers in all of Hamilton County. Across all of the county's police agencies, less than 20% of officers are black. So to the vast majority in the city and beyond, these officers have a message. I've heard it said that uh, I came on this job to lock people up, and that's not that's not our job. Our job is to uh, serve and protect. And during the course of that, yes, we will make arrests. Ultimately, our job is to protect the citizens of the city. We still got that good old boy network. Uh, uh, until they get rid of that good old boy network, it's like a virus. Let's look at it from a different point of view for a change. Not saying everything you have to do has to change, but we as a department, as law enforcement, have to do things differently. There's a problem. They're trying to tell us what we need to do better. I can offer compassion for white coworkers and white members of the community, for black coworkers and black members of the community because that's the first way of actually um, creating some change is understanding how history impacted us all. Um, it starts with acceptance. First time I was in a police car was in the handcuffs. So I understand that. I understand that you've complied, that you've done what you're supposed to do, you're where you're supposed to be, but then I understand what it's like to be told that you're lying when you, <laughs> you can have a verified truth. We cannot shy away from that. If our coworkers don't like it, they saw what they don't like it, big deal. They make a choice to do this job like we make a choice to do this job. You do understand we can't leave. If we leave, then there's nobody here to give a damn. We have to care. We, it's, it is our job to stay here and help figure this out. Why run? Don't leave. Figure it out. Quit running from it. That's what's always plagued us. Things get too tough. You go running to where it's safe. Get into that danger zone and help fix it up.
You know what? I empathize with the white officers. I ain't even gonna put... They being plastered all over the... F- just like our black male suspect. And I'm being... Fu- seriously. Now they're being plastered as the face of of hate in the face of not liking the black community and the face of violence. I, oh, my gosh. I empathize with them every day. We've all been in situations where we knew as police officers, we, we questioned whether or not we were gonna make it home. So we understand that. We get it. We do. But at the end of the day, when we go out here in our communities, they got questions. Questions. And it would it would behoove us, and I would be less than a man, less than a black man, for me not to answer those questions honestly. Distrust is at the root of a complex relationship between black communities and police. The origin of that distrust goes back hundreds of years, and it doesn't fall on the shoulders of anyone alive today. But these officers say it's still their problem to solve. We know that all these, uh, the systematic racism exists in healthcare, uh, schools, um, fi- banking, housing, policing is one of them. And so to offer compassion is for accepting the fact that we may not today, us may not have created the issues that impact us today, but they are a problem to solve for the future. We are well far ahead of the game. And a lot of the demands that the community has been asking for during those protests, we're like, we're already doing that. We're already doing that. There's been a line drawn in the sand that makes it feel as though it's us against them. And, and, and people no longer feel like we're all in this together. They don't feel like we're all fighting for the same thing. They feel like, you know, at some point, it's like the police are against us. You know, when we put, when we put on this uniform, we, we like, we trying to change. Thing. Everybody here took this job because they, want, they wanted to go out and make some change. Is that need to speak up a burden on black officers? It shouldn't be. We've been speaking up. It's, no, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Uh, and unfortunately for some, yes it is, but majority of us, if we see something, we say something. I came on this job 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, when there were the Carolyn Williams or Carolyn Wilsons and Clarence Williams and Wendell Youngs and Cecil Thomas, Cheryl Thomas, Janice Moore. I mean, these are all prominent black police officers who led the way for me today. And I learned from them that you have to, in those conversations where you hear an officer make a comment of disparity regarding a contact he had with a citizen of African-American or uh, minority descent, you have to be able to say something right then and there, put them in check. A lot of those pioneers are gone. And so we're here, and in being here, we have to be the ones to teach those that are gonna be left behind by us. And that's why a dialogue like this is so important. It's so important because those that are gonna see this, hopefully will find their voice. During our discussion, Sergeant Olivia Greer gave a suggestion that every time a Cincinnati officer has contact with a community member, that person should be given a short survey, like one you find on the bottom of your receipt. The purpose is to recognize good officers and weed out the bad. Listen to this. We are now at that stage where we need to start 
allowing citizens to identify those in the uniform who are not being uh, honest and fair and courteous with citizens. Uh, Olivia, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I, I, think, a great, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, it's a great idea. That in itself could solve a lot of our problems because we could identify who our problems are. CPD's police chief said the department already has comment cards that citizens can request at districts, but he agrees it's time to keep with the times and move those online. Many of these officers have decades of experience and have lived in Cincinnati neighborhoods even longer. They have other suggestions for improving the community and the department, including regularly surveying Cincinnati public school students about issues they're concerned about, offering incentives for officers to live within city limits, for example, tax breaks or extra points on promotion exams, and giving officers more authority to handle quality of life issues like abandoned furniture, trash, and burnt out streetlights. One of our panelists, Officer Jeanette Whitehead, has now retired after 28 and a half years. I asked her what she wants to see in the department years from now as a private citizen. Here's what she said. Fairness, where the officers are treated just as fair in uniform and out of uniform, and then also that the community is served and not just shuffled around, but truly served. You can see by listening to them speak, you can see their heart. Police Chief Elliot Isaac's response after seeing this powerful conversation for the first time. We wanted department leadership to see what you're seeing and give their perspective. Chief Isaac and Executive Assistant Chief Terry Thiege agreed to watch and weigh in. Having been a police officer for 33 years, being a black man and being a police officer for 33 years, uh, I've experienced all of that. It's kind of hard and it hurts. His own officer's accounts remind Chief Elliot Isaac of himself, his encounters with racism in and out of uniform. This is something that has not gone away. Um, I know what this department looked like and what black officers experienced when I started nearly 33 years ago in the late 80s. Things are better, but then they're not. What will stick with you? When they were eager to say they support Black Lives Matter, but they're also eagerly and willing to support how important being a police officer is and, and recognizing that we can't forget those who are true heroes that sacrifice themselves for the betterment of all of our society. He says his officers' emotions and concerns impacted him deeply. He wants the community and his department to listen with open minds. We need to police with empathy the way we police our communities and interact with them, but also the way that we interact with each other. That empathy and understanding is key. There were parts of it that were gut-wrenching for me. 
Assistant Chief Terry Thiege is the highest ranking woman in CPD's history. In her 31 years, she's been part of major change, use of force, implementing the taser and body camera. But on the topic of race, she knows she has a lot to learn. The most impactful piece for me was listening to the officers talk about what they taught their children of how to interact with the police officer. Um, I too, I have four children. I taught them if they were pulled over, put your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel and turn the dome light on. But I have to tell you, I think I taught them that for a completely different reason than what I just heard from those officers. I think I taught my kids to do that out of respect for the officer, just so they can see your hands. And I never taught them to do that as a measure to try to save their own life. There really is a racial difference. There really is a social injustice. Do you think that police leadership needs to do a better job of making sure all officers are educated on the communities they're serving? Absolutely, absolutely. We don't know the background of most of our, our white officers. I, I'm a prime example of that. I was born and raised in a law enforcement family a huge family tradition in law enforcement, but I was raised in a middle-class, white, suburban family neighborhood, and that's all I knew until I got on the police department. White officers on this job, through no fault of their own, don't know what they don't know about the black community. She believes it's time for difficult conversations that lead to better understanding and better communities for all. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid or ripping off a scab. It's going to hurt and then it's going to heal. Chief Isaac says he allowed his officers to be part of this conversation so that the community could see their humanity. That was certainly evident tonight. I want to thank the 10 officers who spent hours talking with us to Chief Isaac and Assistant Chief Thiege for their time and their attentiveness. And thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen. Issues of race and policing in America are topics that aren't going to just go away. As one of the officers said, the question is, do we have the courage to have those conversations? Please don't get offended when I say this. We all got to shut up. Everybody's yelling right now. Everybody is screaming. We're not listening to each other. Everybody's trying to make everybody think or believe what they feel, and we're not listening. At the end of the day, we all want a common goal. We all want to be able to say, you know what? I feel safe in my community. You know what? I feel protected in my community. I would say be the change you want to see, period. Becoming a police officer was one of the most important decisions I could have made. My worry is, with the current climate, um, and even it just showed up in this last testing process, is that more people like us are veering away from police work, and we are what we need in our communities. That's the reason I joined, to make a difference and make a change for people that look like me. And there's a lot of people that care about this community that don't look like us. So, don't turn your back on us. Don't give up. There's still hope. I am a police officer. I am only a guardian because you gave me, you gave me that right to be that. You give me that, that right, that opportunity, that you allow me to be a resource in your life when we show up, period. I also want the black community to know 
You say, while we sit silent, we're not seeing KKK um, hoods in anybody's drawers. We're not seeing anybody plant dope. We don't, those things are not what's happening in our agencies. But know that the, the, the things that are happening, we are addressing them. There's a multitude of things that need to change in order for policing as a whole to be considered, guess what, fun again. Because right now it's, it's, not, it's not enjoyable for us. Um, there have been times where I have um, contemplated on coming up with a game plan on leaving policing early. But I have to remind myself that uh, during times of uh, difficult situations, and what our country is going through that I have to stay. I have to step up uh, and maintain my leadership position in our community. I cannot leave. We're here for you. We really are. Um, you know, we, I want to engage with the community as much as possible. I'm with the community. I'll, I'll be with this job until God calls me someplace else. Every day I go in to work, people are asking me, when are you gonna retire? And you're gonna retire. I will retire when I feel that I have done what I need to do to show this department that we need to treat people better. That was WLWT News 5 investigative reporter Jatera McGee in our Project Community special, Black and Blue. To watch this special as it aired, visit WLWT.com. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This has been WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albritton. Thanks for listening.